Bonjour, mon ami, et bienvenue en le circuit de Paul Whoa. Ricard. What is what, that? What, we, what does that mean? That, and what is that exotic language? <laughs> uh, that is my high school French coming back to haunt me, Rob Zachney. Um, we are, uh, we're off to the races, as we are most weeks, every other week, actually, I'd probably say, um, in, uh, in the south of France. Again, we didn't have enough of the south of France with Monaco and with all those beers we drank in Los Angeles. Ever since tasting the uh, sweet nectar that is Blue Coast Brewing, you know, I think in my heart, I'm still in the south of France. <laughs> uh, this week is a twofer. Drew is on assignment. I am uh, I'm leading the formation lap, as it were, and uh, delighted to be joined on the front row by Mr. Rob Zachney, who uh, we were hanging out together in Los Angeles only a couple of days ago at the uh, big video game conference E3. Um, uh, you just got back yesterday, is that right? Yeah, I spent some extra time in Los Angeles to hang out, see some friends. Uh, I realized I planned it pretty badly, though, because I re- I forgot that it would basically mean that watching uh, the 24 hours would be impossible. Right. And so uh, instead, I stupidly enjoyed my weekend in Los Angeles and got lots of sun and saw lots of friends when I could have been inside uh, watching motorsports for... At least sixteen hours. Yeah, I I was kept up to date, thankfully, by the uh, the Shift F One uh, Twitter community, um, mostly on the the fate of one Pastor Maldonado, um, who was you know that, that that circuit. There are many crashes usually on on a race that long, and um, he was the second retirement of many of them. But uh, yeah, I haven't seen the crash, but apparently he binned it pretty hard and totaled the car. Um, congratulations to Fernando Alonso, uh, Sebastian Buemi. And uh, Nakajima as well for for securing Toyota's second win. It's uh, good to see him collecting gold, as it were. If uh, you know, not on F1 tracks, but but somewhere in the world. Um, yeah, the other thing that happened, I guess, just to get the Patreon stuff out of the way, is the most exciting Patreon exclusive I've ever done. And I've run it. I've been running a Patreon for three years. But uh, we recorded a. I would say high production value taste test of Daniel Ricardo's Blue Coast uh, brews, which were shipped from the south of France. Strangely high production value. Like I was surprised. <laughs> I anticipated that we were just going to like lean a camera against a pillar on a stack of books and then like just sort of squat down in front of it with beer. And uh, instead, like there was a there there was a cameraman and there was a uh, there there was lighting and everything. Yeah, we'd lights. We had we had a set that was oddly evocative of the uh, of the the the, the uh, uh, I guess the the event, the sort of prestige of it. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Jeremy, the camera op for no clip was just kind of bouncing around and helped us record last week's podcast as well. So um, it all kind of worked out. So if you're a patron, or you know, you can go watch that right now. It's about thirty minutes long. It also has a uh, surprise. Um, what'll we say? Mouthwashing of rich energy. Uh, at the end to, to cleanse our palates of all flavor, really. Um, uh, you can go check that out. And if you're not a patron, consider supporting us. It's on uh, uh, patreon.com slash shiftf1. Um, if you sign up you know, three months from now, you'll still be able to watch it. it it's in the back catalog for, for people to enjoy. All right. Shall we jump into the, the week that's in it, Rob? I'll be completely honest. There, uh, Le Mans sort of ended up taking most of uh the, the the focus over the last week um i feel like i feel like this race is kind of a bit of a a moment for people to step back and breathe a hot second um after all the f- sort of frantic uh freneticism of, of canada especially um th- this this track is kind of a bit of a sleepier one right uh i think that's that's fair to say i'm not sure this is where i would have brought formula one back to france right. uh it's a manicure or something yeah like i always sort of wondered i don't know what fully the politics and the dynamics were around uh manicure whether or not there were because there's always politics about where and when they decide to run an f1 race uh there's yeah. usually pretty hard deals uh struck with circuit operators but 
Magnicore is a great track, right? Like what I, like it's it's sort of a classic of the old F1 calendar. Uh, and sort of my reservation about it was always who you know, it could be it could be a bit like a Donington, right? Where it's a great circuit right. but not really suitable for modern F1 yeah. cars anymore. Totally. But then again, I'm not sure uh Circuit de uh Paul, Paul Ricard is is quite up to that billing either. Uh the harshest way I'd put it maybe is this track's always reminded me a bit of a karting track. Yeah. It, it doesn't, it, the, the sort of the blue, uh, we'll get into it in the tra- track walk with the sort of the, the blue zones. Uh, uh, that and the sort of just the, the amount of redundant apexes because it's, you know, it's a weekend track as well. So people turn up in their in their, their sporty cars all over south of France to, to come and do a couple of laps. And there's just like, especially on that straight, there's like a million apexes that you just drive straight past. Um, I watched uh, an onboard with Lewis uh, about a week ago, um, and he was actually commenting on how it's kind of confusing even for them to, to see where the apex is at that weird little chicane they put in. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. Let's, let's, let's uh, finish up on, I guess, the sort of uh, detritus from Canada. Um, the, the first of which is kind of an interesting one. Uh, Ferrari requesting the right to review uh, on uh, Vettel's Canadian penalty. Of course, this is the, the penalty which cost him the win, almost cost him second place as well. This one from racefans.net. Ferrari have confirmed that they have requested the right to review on Sebastian Vettel's race win deciding Canadian Grand Prix penalty. The five-time, sorry, the five-second penalty was awarded to Vettel during the race in Montreal following an incident where he left the track driving over a grassy runoff area and then was deemed to have rejoined the track in an unsafe fashion. Immediately following the race, Ferrari notified the FAA that they intended to appeal the penalty, although final classification was issued with Hamilton as the winner. The FAA uh, appeals process then gave Ferrari 96 hours to lodge their protest against the decision. Rather than let that expire, which has no consequence if a team... uh, uh, if a team do not lodge an appeal, Ferrari chose to notify the ruling body that they were withdrawing their intention to appeal last Thursday. Um, at the time, the team decided that they could still protest the penalty under a different aspect of the FIA regulation, the right to review. Um, gets into some uh, detail on Article 14. Uh, we'll skip some of that stuff, but it basically said Ferrari had 14 days after the original decision to request a right to review, taking them up to the date of the French Grand Prix. According to the current stewarding schedule, at least one steward from Canada will take up um, the role against uh, the weekend. Uh, sorry, the role again this weekend in France. Today, a Ferrari spokesman said the team have now requested the right to review as par further conditions laid out in Article 14 of the International Sporting Code. Uh, the team must now submit new evidence, which will be evaluated uh, as to whether it is significant and relevant to the decision by the stewards before the incident can be reviewed. Um, what do you make of this? Uh, you know, politicking as usual in F1. Do they really, you know, what new evidence could they possibly bring to light to, to, to swing this one? Yeah, I mean, this is an interesting one uh, because in general, you don't see these things fought out far beyond the weekend where the racing happened. Like usually once the rolling has come in, and people have lodged their complaints in the immediate aftermath of the race that it's pretty much done and dusted. And so I'm actually kind of intrigued by this sort of, although maybe given what we've talked about uh, regarding Ferrari this season, I shouldn't be surprised, uh, this kind of two-step that Ferrari are working here as they, as they try to figure out what they can do here. And I don't see how they can, I don't see how they can win an appeal here because as I understand it, the FIA had already, when they confirmed the results, they had already taken into account data being fed from uh, Seb's car. Right, like the direction of the wheel and all that stuff. Right, and so the thing that you would have relied on to provide like exonerating evidence is that uh, the FIA would have seen that and judged that Seb acted in good faith throughout that uh, throughout that incident and that he was not attempting to regain the racing line to get advantage but instead kind of had no choice uh but to do what he did um the fbi's got like they can get pretty detailed about this stuff like remember when they caught um nelson pk jr uh Mm. when the you know the crash gate scandal where they deemed that he had clearly like caused an accident intentionally based on data that was fed to them from his own car so they're usually pretty they they sort of play a guessing game about what is in a driver's head 
at a key moment in a race and that's maybe what i would have expected ferrari to get some traction with an appeal so i don't know where they go from here i don't know what the grounds of the appeal would be or what other evidence they could they they could uh they could marshal it feels like uh, i don't know it, it it feels like maybe just a uh unwillingness to completely shut the door on those points yeah, I kind of feel like you know, you, at the end of the day, if there's no penalty to them, you know, pulling the other appeal back or lodging this one, if it's just a matter of, you know, paperwork, uh, then perhaps, especially kind of what's going on with the the budget cap debates that are still going on, like just having that little bit of a lean on the FIA, you know, saying we're not happy about this. Because um, again, I've seen, you know, sort of in F1 blogs over the past week, there's been that whole thing about, you know, who needs, does F1 need Ferrari more than Ferrari needs F1 um, or, or vice versa. So um, it kind of has that feel to it a little bit of like, we're not happy about this. We're going to, we're going to um, keep the door open. Because I, yeah, like you said, I, I feel like if anything, they penalized Seb because they thought that they had seen something. It wasn't like the lack of, of, of evidence it was that they had there was a piece of evidence in his control of the car in that instance that made them think that he had a certain intent you know they weren't just sort of like assuming it so i don't know how you would counter that with more evidence necessarily um yeah i i in a way wish this was this whole ugly affair was behind us it's one of the worst you know cases for we talked about it ad nauseum last week again like with a bit more distance to it, I kind of hate that it happened. I, it's just like a, there's no clear winner in this, um, in in that debate. I feel like, and and I almost wish it was just kind of in the past, at this stage. Um, let's jump into the rules stuff actually, because yeah. there is a little bit of an update. So, um, there's a little bit of a chat here with uh, Toto Wolf on RaceFans.net about the 2021 rules. Uh, the deadline for submission was pretty um, was coming up pretty fast. Uh, it's been pushed back, I believe, until October. Um, and let me read it. Toto sort of explains why. Mercedes F1 bus Toto Wolf has said teams agreed to postpone 2021 regulations last week in order to strengthen the sport over the next 10 years, while Mercedes themselves remain unconfirmed in F1 beyond 2020. All teams last week agreed to the delay, which pushes agreements on 2021 regs beyond the normal deadline for presentation and approval by the World Motorsport Council. Technical and sporting regulations are understood to be a sticking point, with further debate on the F1 budget cap removed from consideration before the next time the WMSC meets. Toto Wolff has previously said that he believes stable regulation will allow other teams to catch up on Mercedes and that radical changes to F1's technical regs would do nothing to equalize the sport. Today he has said the delay is motivated by trying to build a strong regulatory basis to keep F1 as a pinnacle of motorsport, expanding the uh, sorry, expanding and improving the show for fans while keeping the driving uh, genuine in terms of competition. Last week the 10 this is Wolf. Last week the 10 F1 teams met with FIA and Formula 1. We agreed to postpone the presentation of the 2021 regulations until October, giving us all the more time to work on them to achieve our shared goals. Formula One is the undisputed pinnacle of motorsports. Every weekend, millions of fans around the globe share our excitement about racing. <laughs> well, we'll see about this week. Uh, we want to use the unique opportunity of the 2021 regulations to make the series even more exciting for fans, to make the racing more competitive, and to grow the sport globally. He said that the aim of the 2021 regulations is to build up the sport for the next decade, despite no new power unit manufacturers having committed to join F1 and Mercedes themselves remaining uncommitted beyond the end of the 2020 season. Indeed, Wolf's own contract as team boss expires before then, placing him in line for a role with Liberty. Finding the right compromise between the various stakeholders is not easy, but we're united in our passion, here we go, for racing uh, and uh, our will to define a set of rules that see Formula 1 thrive to the next decade uh, i'm gonna stop it there because i feel like that's kind of where where it sticks for me the like why is this stuff getting postponed what's happening behind the closed doors because uh, so much of this i mean it seems like there's going to be dramatic change in terms of the competition we have mercedes pushing back we have ferrari pushing back and other stuff what do you make of this rob this makes me nervous uh because I am not clear the degree to which this agreement to delay the vote 
uh, is predicated on agreeing with sort of the paper terms of the uh, rules that were being proposed. So, as I understand, there was a there was a term sheet uh, basically going around before this delay that sort of sketched out a number of significant changes to F1. Uh, one of the big ones was the number that was being tossed around, and this was again uh, from Dieter Renkin uh, over hmm. RaceFans.net, who's does a very good job of unpacking the really complicated governance structure around Formula One between the FIA, uh, the uh, the teams, and then the World Motorsports uh, Council. But the number that uh, Rankin cited was that they were shooting for $175 million uh, a year in terms of like cost controls. So right. already, though, that gets wishy-washy because there are a lot of carve-outs in terms of what applies to uh, it, what applies to that cost cap. For instance, uh, it certainly looked like teams were making sure that they wouldn't be charged for their perks for drivers and staff. So uh, if you're Williams and you are sort of uh, living a bit rough, uh, yeah. you know... You're not charged. For, you 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 know the the rules in their magnificence allow you to live in, to work in a shitty motel while people at Ferrari are staying at like four star accommodations or something. That's kind right. of what was allowed. <laughs> uh, but it does look like these cost controls are also going to be the major sticking point. Uh, this is some. This is one of the things that are. Uh, this this seem this seems like it is likely to be a thing where there's a bit of haggling now. Uh, in terms of the delay, it does look like everyone's basically agreed in principle to the idea of cost controls. Uh, I'm curious how extensive those can be. But the other issue is that there's a lot of everyone wants a pony in the rules that are being proposed. So yep. there's a lot of stuff about you know changing car design to reduce aerodynamic uh, sensitivity on the cars. Uh, there's a lot of nitty-gritty about um, what components teams are allowed to build and have bespoke for their car, what parts they're allowed to build and sell to other teams, and what components the FIA will just contract with the supplier to supply across F1 for a kind of spec part. Um, the thing that did seem cool, like unequivocally, was they were talking about um, pooling gearboxes for the season rather oh, than cool. saying that each transmission and gearbox has to serve X number of races. So you're not, you don't end up with these absurd situations where somebody, you know, drops a transmission and yeah. then they immediately have to like start from the back of the grid the next race. Uh, but there are so many stakeholders involved in this and the big thing the big thing they don't it does not look like they've managed to address is ferrari's still going to keep their veto oh really yeah that's what it looks like now they've they sort of carved out the veto has to be about ferrari's legitimate formula one interests so i guess like maybe ferrari has to demonstrate uh that they have like an actually germane objection but I don't know, man. Ferrari's business is F1. Like, they can always... I don't know that the good health of uh, Formula One down the road is compatible with Ferrari having a strange veto power over the entire sport and its regulations. Yeah, it seems it seems crazy that we would get this far um, and, and be on the crest of, of this sort of... It feels like one of those sea changes um, it, it, within the sport that kind of whoever... Whoever's on the wrong side of it might be suffering for 10 years and whoever's on the right side of it um, uh, might do quite well out of it. But just considering the how much of a sticking point that has been for such a long time, I feel like when Liberty came in, that was the, the, the beat that everyone was sort of drumming to. That like, oh, this is finally, we'll, we will have broken the chain. You know what I mean? Like we'll have... Will have dispensed with that old, um, the old deals that happened under the previous regime, um, that will have you know, even closer to sort of, uh, I don't know, your former your motorsport meritocracy of our dreams. And um, obviously that's ridiculous because you know certain teams have, will always have a higher profile or better drivers or, or deeper pockets. But yeah, I don't know, man. I hate that veto. I just it's it's like I don't know. It's like the UN Security Council of Formula One or something. Um, yeah, it seems to. Except this one seems to really only serve them. Right, and 
there was another interesting thing that uh, Total Wolf was saying around this whole regulations negotiation, which was that he was saying that he didn't think they should do big technical reg changes. And he said, like, it was an interesting <laughs> no quote. No, that he, he, referred, he said, look, nobody is going to believe me uh, when I say this. Everyone is going to think yeah. this is a completely self-interested statement and so be it. But the his argument was it is it is in the season to season upheaval in technical regulations that the most successful teams find their best competitive edge and right. over time if you just step back you see a convergence and i've always had a little bit of sympathy for that argument because if you think about when you set a completely new engineering challenge before mm different groups of people people are going to arrive at really different answers and some of those answers are going to be comically tragically wrong right and so the longer the regulations are stable the more mimicry you can find and the more ways that uh less well-heeled competitors can eventually just kind of by cribbing and working on their own designs maybe narrow the gap a little bit um i I could say you can say there is certainly evidence for that in the mid-pack this season like you know, Williams are the ones that are just having a nightmare, but that seems completely disconnected from from that maybe. But like, there's a real little battle between Haas and and, and Toroso and Renault. Like, there's there's a, a nice little group of they're they're all seem to be performing at a much higher um, or a much more stable rate than they were last year, or the year prior. Yeah, I don't know what to make of it. Like for me, I always think about. Um real-time strategy games for instance the whole the question of when do you intervene and rebalance a game when do you recognize right. that you have to step in and change the rules of a game in order to make it fair and prevent a repetitive outcome versus when are you better off stepping back and allow the competitors through the act of competing and seeing each other's strategies repeated again and again begin to find competitive competitive advantages within that framework uh, I think it's harder in Formula One because the stakes are so much higher, right? If you don't intervene in a game design for months and months or even years, hmm. people can have hundreds or thousands of good games. There's plenty of time to build that sample size. In Formula One, the money at stake, if you have an unfair system that produces a bad season, it's really pretty dismal right for the people who aren't competitive and the people who are watching at the same time i just feel like we are so many years into watching formula one kind of stratify into these mm. really hard locked tiers that we've got now that you know something drastic does need to be done uh the thing i would say is We've tried to have technical regulations address this before, and they've largely failed. They've largely managed to further generate eras where one team is vastly ahead of everyone else. So, I don't know. Toto might be onto something. Yeah, I guess the, the, you know the, the, there's an attractiveness of shuffling the deck just to see, I guess, where everyone comes out on the other end. But, yeah, we you could so easily end up in a situation where a leading team has an even greater advantage than than Mercedes has now, or that that, that there's more stratification between even the top teams there. That the, the, there's no battle going on between second and third, or, or third and fourth. It's I mean smarter people than 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 I are are certainly in charge of that thing. I guess I would look to other motorsports and see ways in which they have adopted rules like we talked about the reverse qualifying stuff or you know that there are ways of 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 e even if it doesn't shuffle the competition at least giving the day the spectacle of the race itself some sort of edge that we can enjoy i think that's the real trick is formula one is trapped in this no man's land where in its heart it's still an engineering challenge from back when this was unequivocally the technical pinnacle of motorsport and there's so much resistance to that kind of waiting like in some cases literal waiting of cars to ensure a bit more parity within the field that i think f1 just because of its self-conception forecloses a lot of the possibilities that other motorsports have used 
to make for a more entertaining race. And I don't know if those two things are uh, reconcilable. I don't even know if I want them to be reconciled, but I do think that to an extent, Formula One has had an ongoing problem with stratification and lack of lack of overtaking and lack of exciting uh, action on the track. And they've shut, you know, they're kind of wedded to this idea that somehow if we just find the right technical regulations, we're going to stop seeing these underlying structural factors generate the same results in one era <laughs> after another. Yeah, uh, and you know, perhaps Circuit de Paul Ricard isn't the best place to be going right after having that conversation because uh, um, it's uh, it's certainly, uh, I don't know, one of the less interesting, I feel like every time I do this, I'm just like completely setting up the, the exact opposite to happen. So let's just dive straight into it. Um, we are in the round, what are we, round eight? I feel like there's more races than eight. I looked at it earlier on. Yeah, round eight, I think, of... Uh, of the season um in circle power card attractive came back last year um a, a sort of a, a, a popular track in terms of footfall uh, perhaps too popular last year they had a lot of trouble getting people out of the circus they were stuck after the race oh, really? for hours yeah um i only uh, read about this uh, a couple of days ago um uh, because obviously we all tuned out after the podium um but uh being in a the south of france in a, a pretty populated area a lot of people driving to it as well. Um, they had a lot of trouble getting people out of there. So apparently the FAA have have, uh, have done what needs to be done to, to stop it from happening this year. Um, almost 100,000 people, 90,000 people um, are able to to get into this circuit. It's it's an interesting one. It's a, a 15 turns clockwise. It's 400 meters above sea level, um, which kind of puts it in spa territory. Uh, and it actually has a decent amount of elevation change as well. Kind of not high enough to really, you know, it's not a one ring stuff. Where it's really going to mess with the with the engine too much, but something to to be aware of. Uh, two DRS straights on it, uh, the start finish straight, and then the section between turn seven and turn eight. Uh, th- this used to be a much longer straight between turn seven and now what is turn ten, which is arguably the most exciting turn on on the uh, circuit, at least for the drivers. Uh, but they put in this um, pretty uh, pretty tight chicane or, or sort of like double turn, uh, turn eight and nine in the middle. This is a sort of quick entry, slow exit circuit, which is fun for weekend drivers who tend to go to this circuit quite a lot. Um, There's loads of different configurations for it. You said that it reminds you of a go-karting track. It is one a couple of times during the week. Um, So it's it's a fun track, I think, for people to, to throw their road cars around. But uh, unfortunately, it does have the the instance of, of not really being the best place for overtaking for a modern F1 car. Uh, double to that, you have the very large blue zone, uh, as they're known, runoff areas, um, which are all over uh, the, the, the track. This obviously, again, is the circuit that people bring their cars to, so they don't want them getting stuck in gravel traps or even worse um hitting hitting walls and stuff so um there's a decent amount of runoff and last year we sort of saw drivers using it to defend maybe a little bit too much or missing corners and it just kind of felt a little bit like yeah like they were on a test track or something um uh, and, and not the, the the element of danger to stop them you know, that we see in for instance in canada um you know where if you if you push too hard on a number of turns there, like Seb, for instance, you, you go off or at the Wall of Champions, that sort of element is kind of missing here, unfortunately. Um, for the driver is considered a pretty easy drive. Turn 10 is taking, taken uh, at full whack. Um, the last section has a sort of a, a couple of double apex corners that are relatively interesting. But um, all in all, this is not a particularly difficult track for the drivers and they're able to retain uh, position fairly easily. Uh, Rob, what what do you make of uh, Circuit Paul Ricard? I, I mean, I'm pretty down on it. Apologies to everyone. I think Canada is a is a favorite of mine. This one kind of feels like almost the procession element of Monaco, but just the complete opposite issue with walls. Yeah, I um, I feel like I don't know the track well enough, and, and by by that I mean I haven't seen enough races run on it. Right? Like right. I feel like yeah. maybe this track has the capacity to surprise me at the same time like having this is this is where the FIA coming down on sub last week probably burns us a little bit too 
if they were maybe a little more permissive about track limits, this is a circuit right. where you could probably let that lie a little bit and generate some interesting on-track action. But if you've immediately set this precedent that, well, if you exceed track limits uh, while defending and you know regain the track, uh, there's, a cha- there's a possibility we're going to change up the results, uh, you know, on the track or after the fact, then. I suspect the less savory aspects of this track, uh, its tightness in several places, the difficulty in getting a good run, uh, the fact that, I don't know, I just don't, I do not see a great deal of strong passing opportunities uh, for, for, for the cars. In particular, strong opportunities for the cars to close up in preparation to pass is yeah. maybe, maybe the bigger issue here. Uh, so I, I have hope that we haven't seen the best of the circuit and with the drivers, uh, getting a little more experienced on it each, you know, each time around, we will get a decent race out of it, but I don't like it. (laughs) It doesn't feel like a real F1 track. It's, it's a weird, I felt odd when they added it because I felt like there was some, Especially within the Liberty era, like the, adding in fresh new tracks and like these excited, like the weirdness we're going to get in Vietnam. And like, it seemed like, yeah, we, you know, we talked about it a bit with the Monaco thing, right? There are certain legacy tracks that were sort of kind of like, we're kind of stuck with them, but we kind of like them as well because they're part of the, the history of the sport. And, you know, you for as much as we complain about Monaco, I love watching Monaco. I think it's a fantastic right. uh, race weekend. This one feels like, it's one of those oldie ones that like nobody actually really wants back. You know what I mean? Like, it's not Imola. You know what I mean? It's yes. it's, it's kind of like, uh, um, you know, also ran uh, circuit. And I mean, last year's race didn't didn't exactly excite many of us. It kind of confirmed, I think, a lot of people's fears. So, yeah, like you said, I think I kind of what I hope is we get like a Verstappen or somebody who figures out a corner or a, or a, or a Leclerc who like realizes oh here's a place nobody thinks about overtaking like i gotta go around the outside on turn 10 and 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 cut in before 11 or something like that um i just i don't yeah yeah, i'm we didn't have it last year and i kind of i I don't know i'm i'm crossing my fingers and toes but um not necessarily optimistic about it um it's a shame almost that that back straight is uphill as well because it kind of maybe that would be the thing that if it was flat it might be like china where it's there's enough of distance there to, to to you know to to give people a bit of a run-up but um downforce doesn't seem to be a problem here either the car is super grippy so um. i also just always wonder with this track probably the drivers are so incredibly skilled it doesn't matter but i find it hard to get visual reference on this track totally this is like china and i think in the same way the first couple of times you you watch it it because it, it just looks like a like a video game track yeah well, like every turn, and there are so many places. Like you look at the overhead fo- photography of the track, like they have on Wikipedia, and this always throws me when I'm uh, racing it in like F1 2019. There are multiple, like there are multiple versions of the track layout that you can see. So you have to know when you're moving at high speed, you will approach a corner like that chicane on the uh, back straight. And there's actually multiple ways through it that look viable, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, and the other thing is, I've always felt like the blue and red striping is like da- dazzle cam- camouflage in terms right. of just getting uh, your bearings and sort of getting a sense of speed and uh, placement on the track. So I think this is another thing I always wonder about as well. The thing, the thing that's always struck me as one of the harder challenges with this track is maintaining your concentration on the few reference points it gives you and ensuring that you don't do something really silly like take the completely wrong line through a corner and end up like cutting across... Uh, you know, someone's Sunday racer uh, track, basically. <laughs> that's and so that that's something that I, I think this track probably poses an unusual uh, challenge for. Again, hopefully we see some some good racing. If there were ever a place for the FIA to encourage exploration of the uh, runoffs, this would be it. Yeah, it's 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 very much like I you know lots of tracks are like this, like. Um, 
uh, Yas Marina, for instance, has a bunch of different um, setups. Uh, Bahrain, famously, they changed it. We we had this whole other section in, in the prior that, that they've uh, since removed. It's still a part of the track. So we're used to that type of thing. But there is something aggressive about, like, the, the, the way in which this one's set up visually. Um, and like I said at the top of the show, like, I thought that this was just something that, like, peons like us who don't really understand driving get thrown off by it but literally lewis hamilton said the same thing in in his uh in his track guide that they have trouble figuring out which apex is the one they're supposed to aim for um so yeah who knows maybe we'll have some somebody take a well well somebody will uh beat the track record by uh by by finding a sort of mario kart style <laughs> a skip uh, through it um let's get into the tires we are running with the c2 hards the c3 mediums and the c4 uh, soft. Um, uh, pretty much everyone taking at least one of the hards. Uh, generally one. A couple of drivers taking two. Uh, Kubica, Kvyat, Grosjean, Danny Rick. And then it's a bit of a split between the, the mediums and the, the, the softs. Mostly softs. Uh, a couple of notable ones here. Grosjean's only taking one set of the mediums. Um, as opposed to, say, Verstappen, who's taking four. Um, his Haas teammate taking two over there, uh, and then most drivers taking three or two. Kvyat's only taking one um, uh, pair of uh, of, of uh, mediums, as is Ricardo. Um, hmm. But like I said, the the tire wear it got resurfaced. I remember before last year, and they were worried that there might be um, issues with tire wear, but it ended up being um, not much of a of a problem at all. Uh, the weather, I mean, this time of year in the south of France, it's usually pretty pretty balmy basically no chance of rain for the entire race weekend uh we're looking at 79 degrees uh or 80 degrees fahrenheit that's a high 20s if you're speaking in european um and that's a uh, pretty consistent throughout the entire weekend um in the afternoon it's going to be high 20s slash low 80s um throughout uh the weekend so uh yeah if nothing else the uh you know we can the blue coat is really booming Oh, totally. Yeah, good point. Actually, if ever it was a week, this is this is the week to sell a bunch of uh, inventory for for Danny Rick and the and and the rest of the crew at Blue Coast. If, of course, if we haven't already, you know, sold them out of out of house and home. Um, let's take a little look at the uh, driver standings at the moment. Uh, Lewis Hamilton, of course, ahead with 162 points. Valtteri Bottas, a couple of races behind him now, 133. So a bit of a gap. Hamilton starting to stretch out there. Seb is sitting pretty on third with 100. Uh, Verstappen's behind him with 88, Charles Leclerc with 72, trailing his uh, his teammate by at least a race win. Pierre Gasly with 36. He'll want to be doing better this weekend, I think, especially um, um, being uh, his home race, as it were. Uh, Renault's home race as well, of course. Carlos Sainz Jr. in 7th with uh, 18 points. Danny Ricciardo in 8th with 16. Magnussen 9th with 14. Perez rounds out the top 10 with 13 points. Uh, he's actually drawn as uh, uh, second or sorry 10th with Kimi Raikkonen who's also on 13 Lando Norris one behind them himself and Hulkenberg uh, on 12 Danny Kivat with 10 Albon with 7 Stroll 6 Grosjean 2 god he's really not having a good year is he that's that's something else um, Antonio Giovinazzi George Russell Robert Kubica um, have yet to lodge points ferrari on top of the constructors running away with it at the moment 295 ferrari 172 red bull 124 i mean we're only in the eight round but that seems like the kind of the way it might shake out this year uh, and then the fight starts this is where it's all happening formula 1.5 baby mclaren Renault, 30 points uh Renault themselves 28 racing point with 19 scuderia toro rosso with 17 Haas with 16, Alfa Romero with 13. Like, that's basically most of the, the pack. That's six teams within, you know, a race win of each other. <laughs> if uh, if uh, the three other teams will crash out. Um, and then uh, Williams Mercedes, of course, um, uh, you know, there, hanging around, zero points. Uh, the Fantasy League. Uh, I have not checked in on my team after last weekend, but uh, I want to give a shout-out to the top 10 here. Uh, in 10, Pointless Racing Force. Number 9, Speed Beast. Uh, 8, Bois to the Future, Part 3. Uh, Dragon Ball GT in 7th. Fry the Tires in 6th. Mac F1, 5th. Alpha in 4th. And our top 3, 
Uh, and third place is Mercedes all the way. Number two is the Hamiltons break the system and still leading by a hair 16 points is steering wheel hey hey give it to me move come on um congratulations to jacob who is uh, still on top of uh, on top of the league shall we take it to some emails mr Zach? absolutely uh, do you want to read this one out this is from dennis um I, you know we, we we just did a big taste test of a bunch of beers and also rich energy you had a lot of things to say about rich energy dennis has a lot of things to say about rich energy yeah, uh, Dennis writes, After reading about Rich Energy being available in cases from Walmart.com, I took a look at the locator on the website. It shows the drink as being available in three states, one of which is Virginia, where I live. All but one location was a club. The remaining one was a sitgo station in Norfolk that a friend of mine, not if one fan, lives near. I asked him if he would go to sitgo and check for it. Not only did they not have any, he said the employee at the gas station had never seen it. I thought the adventure was done when he texted me a few minutes later. All of these Norfolk locations are near me. I told him the rest of the, the rest of them are clubs, to which he responded, I'm outside one of the clubs right now. Dave Ultra <laughs> entered the culture lounge as a very out-of-place guy who was only in the club trying to purchase some weird energy drinks. A couple minutes later, to my amazement, I received a picture attached of Dave holding a very cold-looking rich energy, uh, a pair of very cold-looking rich energy cans. I couldn't believe it. He said it's close to Red Bull, but not as good. Rich Energy is actually in at least one club. There you go. So check out the Culture Lounge in Norfolk, Virginia, on their Facebook page. Looks like a looks like a happening spot. It's a sort of a dancey place. Sells drinks and foods and high quality, you know, cycling branded uh, energy drinks. Um, yeah, congratulations to Dennis um, uh, and his friend for. Dave for, for, for doing that. That's dedication, I feel like, to the cause. Um, I want to use this opportunity to, you know, if anyone else wants to go to their local club, culture lounge, and, and take pictures, we're, we're all for it. Did I hallucinate something on Twitter where Rich Energy was posting <laughs> diagrams of how their logo differed from white bikes? Oh, my God. Like, uh, it's completely within his <laughs> wheelhouse after the past week of nonsense. Yeah. Um, I mean... What would they? Did they just point at the extra horn? Yeah. Is that it? Okay, yeah. They like, like did, did an overlay <laughs> of the two logos and demonstrated that like they're off by a couple degrees. It's they're not like identical. Right, that you can't actually okay. just like map one over the other. It wasn't a complete copy paste. Uh, so oh things are going great. Yeah, I mean they're limited edition cans. If they lose that, uh, you know, they lose that um, lawsuit. So. Go ahead and get them, your local Walmart or Sitco or Culture Lounge. Uh, Joe Goff sends in a question about Seb I wanted to uh, throw to you, Rob. Um, I was wanting to weigh in on Ferrari and their car for this year. Um, what if Sebastian Vettel's mistakes in the car aren't the cause of the troubles, but instead betraying a Ferrari car that has to be driven on the absolute razor's edge uh, to even be within shouting distance of a superior Mercedes? His off-track at Canada wasn't the first time he stepped out while eating a Mercedes. I just think Mercedes is so far ahead in terms of aero and power that they can allow Lewis to have relatively simple race drives. I mean, Lewis was by you know all accounts the faster car in canada and seb was driving it at its limit what what do you reckon to that defense rob i think it's a good defense uh there have been a few times where unlike last year i think last year seb made truly egregious mistakes i think seb uh was a less consistent driver i think he exhibited some really bad judgment last year and he had he had collisions last year it was kind of a different type of error right I will never, like, uh, the incident at Bahrain, to me, still goes down as a, sometimes the car just washes away from you. Uh, Sometimes you get unlucky with following distance. That never looked to me like a serious mistake on his part. It just looked like uh, the kind of weird thing that can happen when you're on the edge and you lose a bit of the uh, downforce you were counting on. With the incident at Montreal... I can see it. I think he was probably on the ragged edge there and trying hard to stay ahead. Uh, at the same time, at the same time, I just don't know. And to an extent, there is—I don't know. It's one of those things. 
what do you see when you look at Seb's incidents, right? Like, I think you'll see what you want to see. Right, if you, yeah. If you, want, like, if you want to believe that Seb isn't making mistakes that are that serious, this is a good and plausible explanation. At the same time, um, I'm not entirely sure that I can say that, well, Lewis has just got an easier drive of it, and uh, so he's not pushing the car anywhere near as hard. Do you think if there was that type of issue with the car or Seb was pushing it to the edge that he'd be more vocal about it, that he'd, like, bring it up? Because he's... I feel like with Ferrari in particular, he's been an extraordinarily good team player when it came to communication. So do you think he'd bury it or or would he come out with that? I think he would bury it. I think what he... Like, he has talked around his disappointment in the car a lot Seb's persona right now does seem to be very much like slightly disappointed dad and <laughs> like he doesn't you know he doesn't want to say anything too bad uh he you know the situation how many times have we heard him say a variation on obviously things things being what they are this isn't all right qualifying for us hmm. uh so he hasn't had and he's he's too much of a pro to have any of those full on meltdowns where you just blow up at the car and talk about what a joke it is. I don't think that's who he is necessarily, and I don't think it's what he would do to his team. I think on that score, he has been a, pr- a pretty good mm. uh, team player. So I think if there were some major deficiencies, he wouldn't necessarily like blab it around. Yeah, I feel like Leclerc is probably in that same boat as well. Like, you know, and what young driver would, well, I guess Max Verstappen would, but what other young driver would throw their team under, under the bus in, in those situations? Maybe Magnussen would as well. Yeah, who knows? Maybe half of the half of them would. Um, do you want to take this question from Wes? Uh, we're not. We're we're almost done with the uh, yeah. the uh, rich energy. We're almost off the train, but uh, let's let's take one more stop in Corporation Land. Don't know if you all remember me, but my name is Wes. I emailed you guys a year ago about my parents getting an F1. Good news, they have. We have since Woo. watched some races together and have watched the Drive to Survive series on Netflix. I really love your bashing of the rich energy and mission winnow, a.k.a. Philip Morris Corporations. So I thought I would throw another into the mix, McLaren sponsor Petrobras. Though it is the largest oil company in South America, it is currently enveloped in the largest corruption scandal in South America ever. If you haven't heard about it already, I highly encourage you to look up some info on Operation Car Wash. Though all of this is still alleged, it is still quite shocking to hear about. Raise this cup of husky chocolate. Cheers, boys. (laughs) Yeah, who knew a petrochemical company being embroiled in some sort of scandal? Um, you know, what is what is the world uh, coming to at this stage? Have you uh, looked up Operation Car Wash before? No, that one is new to me. I feel like this. You know, is this the same? Who was the Who was the one that was bankrolling Maldonado? I guess that was it. That was a government. It was a Venezuelan like government-owned oil company. I want to say, I think something like that. Um, yeah, so this is a Operation Car Wash is a it's a Brazilian um, uh, criminal investigation into Petrobras that has been running since 2014. Uh, oh wait, yeah, interesting. So I have heard some criticism. So I don't know which there there've been there are always lots of corruption investigations in Brazil. Yes, this one is interesting because this is. There were investigations around 2014 that were also alleged to have deeply political motives. Hmm. And so I think, and I am speaking from a position of some ignorance here, but my understanding is a great deal of official corruption is a feature of the Brazilian political landscape and has been for a long time. Yeah, and certainly in recent years with all the, with the, the previous presidents being ousted well, and, this and is, the, the new government. This is and, the thing. So the previous president was rather left-leaning and was, uh, at least according to uh, some of their rhetoric, uh, the previous president, uh, Lula, was was working on tackling some of the massive disparities of, like, wealth and Mm. political protections uh, that are endemic uh, to Brazilian society. And one of the angles of these some of these corruption investigations was to derail his presidency and clear the way for uh more corporate corporation friendly uh interests to take power so this is this is one of those investigations that um there's uh, there are there 
are, I'm sure, a lot of like salacious details, but also, man, were there people with a lot to gain from running a corruption investigation like this. Yeah, you can read more about it on uh, on Wikipedia and probably a lot of other places as well. Um, if you want to check that in, it's it's good to know though that, that you know, sort of, I don't know, like the, the, there's not one whiter than white. F1 is just endemically evil. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm trying to or think. Someone, is, someone's got to be good. Someone's got a logo on a car. You know who seemed cool was Martini. They seemed cool. <laughs> I love those, man. That was the best looking car. That was the best looking race suit. Everything about it that was, was fantastic. Like, I missed that sponsorship yeah. a lot. It was super sharp. It worked really good. Um, uh, not to end it on another bummer, uh, Nicholas asking the question: As somebody who has a hard time uh, driving pleasure from much of anything anymore, I'm curious how you're still able to enjoy F1, knowing that burning our fossil fuels has guaranteed near-term extermination of all life on Earth. Um, I just thought I'd keep barreling down this sort of pessimistic uh, uh, thing. I mean, I, I would consider myself a, 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 a you know, f- fairly globally conscious individual. I don't, I don't, I, I feel like in the, in the world, in the idealistic world of the future, you, you, you need, sometimes you just need to like be unhealthy in your life. Sometimes you, you need to like, you know, have a late night and sometimes, you know, you need to burn some fucking fossil fuels and have some fun, but maybe don't, maybe don't allow corporations to do the, the, maybe we could just kill some cows. You know what I mean? Offset yeah. it that way. Just like. I mean, it's like it is a difficult thing. This is a difficult time to be aware of what is happening in the world. Uh, mm. Daily, there are really distressing headlines, and there are a lot of distressing things that we appear to be locked in for in the future. Um, the thing that I would the 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 approach I tend to take is there are still ways that the damage can be limited. There are still ways that climate change can be mitigated and its effects uh, less harmful to some of the most vulnerable people exposed to it. And also that there is nothing to be gained by eliminating all possibility for joy and happiness in your life like all of us were born well not we weren't born this way but all of us eventually know that we're mortal and our time here is going to end Hmm. and this is a much larger and terrifying thing hurling toward us uh but at the same time this question does kind of center on a version of mortality uh we, we have the time we're given and we find a pleasure where we can. And we try to find it in ways that uh, increasingly, I hope, are sustainable and spread happiness and uh, peace in the world rather than further harm. Rob Zachney, it's a pleasure hosting a podcast with you because I can throw you a type of question like that and you can, on the on the fly, come up with a very reasonable and thoughtful and mindful response. On, so. on the fly. Danny, that's just kind of what I say to myself when I stare out the window late at night. <laughs> Into the abyss. Into the world yep. as it crumbles around us. Well, you know, there's a lot of world out there and there's a lot of racing around there. So uh, I think it's probably about time that we race around the world. It's way weirder when I have to throw it to myself. I don't like doing that. And yet you're not going to get me to do it. No, it's, it seems also just unfair to labor you with this, this, this sort of noose that I've placed around my own neck. Like, I didn't need to say that all those years ago, but, but here we are. Anyway, there's a lot of racing going on this week, folks. Um, whether or not you like IndyCar, NASCAR, Super Formula, or Formula E, it's all kicking off. Uh, in no particular order, the IndyCar... Uh, round 10 is at Road America um, in uh, Plymouth. Is that Wisconsin? Not bad. Yeah. Nice. So you're neck of the woods. You were, you were in the school. You were from Yeah, Wisconsin, never did make it to Road America, but, you know, great hmm. circuit. It's on a Sunday, uh, June 23rd. Um, check your local listings to see when that's on. Uh, Formula E is in Bern, Switzerland. No, sorry, on hold on. St- to me, it is the Uh-oh. Bernie Pre. That is it. Uh, Formula E has Bernie radicalized. Pre? 
uh, we are feeling the burn, and there's nothing. Oh, there is nothing that says uh, you know a leftist uh, action program <laughs> like running a race in Switzerland. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, completely. Nothing says uh, yeah, crowdfunded politics like uh, like like heading to 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 the home of of chocolate. Um, I thought you were going for Bernie as in Bernie Eccleston, but actually. We're we're going to be at the Bernie Eccleston uh, pre in F1 because I think he owns Circuit Paul Ricard. I think his company owns oh, it. He bought it back, yeah, back in I want to say 2004 or something. They bought it, and I believe he still owns it. That so, Bernie. I mean, always find maybe that's way. the reason. Maybe that's why it's on the calendar. Just you know, somebody's somebody's scratching someone else's back. Uh, yeah, Bernie P's on uh, this uh, Saturday. June 22nd, check that one out. Super Formula is on round three in uh, Sportsland Sugo. That is in Miyagi Prefecture. Um, I had to look up the prefectures. It apparently doesn't show it on the thing that Drew has. So every time I ask him that, he literally has to um, Google some some J- Japanese address. So I'm going to continue to do that. Safe in the knowledge that I'm really an- annoying him. Um, oh, we got, uh, we got NASCAR. The monster... NASCAR Cup round sixteen, Toyota Save Mart three fifty is in the Bay Area, Sonoma Raceway, in Sonoma, California. Oh, that's gonna Check be a it lot out. of fun, honestly. Sunday, June twenty third. I love that. That's pretty rad. I've never been uh, to a race there, though. I hate myself for not doing that in all the years I lived in the Bay Area. I will have to change that in the future. And in Formula One, where it's all at. The uh, round out at the uh, Grand Prix de France, as we're calling it, uh, is on uh, all weekend at Circuit Paul Ricard in Le Castellet in France. The practice starts June 21st at 5 a.m. These times are Eastern. Um, Practice 2 is on at 9 in the morning. Breakfast time, 6 a.m. for practice 3, 9 a.m. That's on on Saturday, June 22nd. Uh, Qualifying is on 9 a.m., uh that day and then the race nine bells and 10 minutes on sunday 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 june 23rd wake up bright and early if you're on the east coast wake up even earlier if you're on the west coast and it's a nice uh, afternoon race if you're living in the uk so the way this is written on the page by the way i thought it was the like r8 grand prix and i thought like what a weirdly specific like audi enthusiast uh, racing series that must be where people yeah. are like damn this is just such a fabulous car I must race them everywhere <laughs> sadly not uh, the R9 will be will be uh, uh, next week or the week after where are we after this actually I try are we I feel like the, it all got wiggled around now because of this uh, the um, the introduction of this one um, yeah it looks uh, are we in the A1 ring uh, yes yeah alright right afterwards we're in, we're in a the, the Red Bull ring as it's known now sorry on June 30th and then we've got two weeks off until Silverstone uh, and then two weeks off till um, till uh, Hockenheim ring with German Grand Prix on this year so yeah the, we've been we've been uh, lucky we've been with the, the you know fed fat with, with races for the past couple of weeks but it's going to slow down just a teeny little bit um, in July uh, and that's a that's a that's a podcast Rob Zachney uh, you are at Rob Zachney on the Twitters I'm at Danny Dwyer on the Twitters Drew is at Drew Scanlon on the Twitters. He's not here to speak for himself, but I'm pretty sure that's accurate. Uh, if you want to support us on Patreon, we are patreon.com slash shiftf1. You can go check out a 30-minute video of us drinking Daniel Ricardo's delicious uh, dew uh, and uh, some rich energy to, to because every night out has to have at least one bad drink. Um, yeah, and that's a race. Uh, you going to watch it live, do you think, Rob? Nine o'clock in the morning? Nice yeah, that to, one I might. That one, that is perfect time to... Wake up, put on a pot of coffee, make some breakfast, and catch the race. So that's and feel the burn. That's my preferred way of watching F one. Yeah. yeah, gonna feel the burn. Awesome. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, everyone who listens. Um, I hope I've been a, a, an appropriate chaperone while while Mr. Scanlon is out. Uh, we do miss him though. I look forward to him coming back for the post race. Make sure you do too. We will see you then here on Shift F one. Should I do now? I have to throw it to myself again. It's. It's super awkward. Can you say something? Can you like say? Can you do the outro? Hey, say, uh, Danny, what does an F1 car sound like in France? Lenium. <laughs> <laughs>